Welcome to the ERMI Podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum, Chief Content Officer at ERMI. And for over 40 years, ERMI has been an industry leader in educating and informing construction insurance risk management professionals. And in this episode, based on a SNAP talk presented at the 41st ERMI Construction Risk Conference, David Pasifici, Senior Vice President at Berkeley Construction Professional, examines how progressive design build can mitigate the squeeze on a contractor's profits when gross maximum price and a fixed schedule are included on public design build projects. I hope you enjoy it. So what are we gonna talk about? What are you looking to take away from this? Obviously design build is a method of project delivery that we see more and more, certainly more than say 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and we also see that there have been some issues with design build, whether or not companies are actually doing well with it. Are they challenged with it? Um, how are the insurance companies reacting to that? Uh, is it more difficult to get the kinds of insurance that the companies providing or delivering projects design build um, have been used to obtaining? You know, what kind of losses have there been? Now, I'm not gonna go into all of these, but what I do want to give to you is an overview of the challenges of traditional design build in brief, and also how an alternate version of design build called progressive design build tries to address those challenges. And um, what I'm gonna start out with is just a brief look at the design build model. In the design build model, the advantage to the owners is that for one thing, it's a single point of contact. They don't have to hire the architect, have the architect and his subconsultants put together, you know, a conceptual and, and schematic design and then finish design documents and then go look for a contractor. They're gonna find that contractor to begin with and the contractor is gonna find either the architect or the lead engineer. I'm sorry, I'm Italian. I'm gonna be using my hands. I hope everybody is okay with that. So anyway, um, now that's a good thing. One of the things that that does, it is allows the project's time frame or timeline to be compressed because the kind of extra work that, that the owner is doing at the beginning of finding the architect and getting plans put together and then looking for a contractor, all of that doesn't take place in the same kind of, uh, at all really. They're, they're just finding the contractor to begin with and they're finding someone who's capable of delivering the project design build and who can find an engineer to deliver, to deliver the plan themselves. It also provides the owner with some shielding from change orders. Um, in a normal delivery method, the general contractor is owed a constructible design under what's called the Spearin Doctrine. And so when there are issues with the design, the owner can be on the receiving end of additional charges from the general contractor for changes to the design, to the design which are additional scopes. And so that's a problem. So design build has grown tremendously in, its, um, in, in how much it's been used to deliver projects. One of the areas in which it has grown most is in public projects, and especially infrastructure projects for public entities. 
It is the advantages that I briefly described are especially of interest to public entities. That's the kind of thing that they like to do. They're, they've been very attracted to it. You know, one thing is, is that they, they don't have to deal with the kinds of change orders that they otherwise would have. Now, let's look a little bit at how those design-build projects are being delivered and what are the concerns that contractors have with them and how this leads to what I was talking, what, what the title is, is what is the solution for what I'm calling unbalanced risk transfer. So the project, I'm sorry, that's me, okay. Design-build projects are typically delivered on a fast-track schedule. That means that at the time that the project is both bid and awarded, there, is not a com there, is not, there are not complete design documents. The owner may have had some initial work done. The contractor teams that are bidding the project will have engaged with, with the, design the design firms that they work with to put together a bid. And that, um, both the scope of the project as described by the owner in the RFP, as well as what the presumed design that they're going to put, that the design build entities are going to put together, are based on a very early phase of design, usually schematic design. Okay? At schematic design, there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, the project has not been completely uh, developed. Um, there are no knowledge, or they don't have real good knowledge as to what design clashes or scope creep could arise. And there are even the possibility of differing site conditions that the design build entity might be responsible for um, above what the, what the owner is giving them for plans. It's also a fixed price contract. So every contract with a GC is for a defined scope. In this case, we just talked about it briefly, that the scope is still at an early stage. The RFP may not be perfect, and it will have ambiguities as to what the, what the scopes are going to be. But it's nevertheless, the, the con design build contractor has to provide a number for the scope as far as a fixed price. And in calculating that fixed price, they have to do a couple of things. They have to do what they normally do, which is estimate what it's going to cost them to self-perform or, or buy out the job. But in addition, they have to also estimate accurately a number of additional line items in the budget for contingencies, contingencies for scope creep and other design issues such as clashes and other challenges that could end up being $100 million for, for the design contingency. They have to have a contingency, as they usually do, for being able to buy out the job. Especially with inflation, the inflation situation that we're looking at, they have to have a contingency for escalations in the cost of materials. Okay, but they're, in order to be awarded the job, their bid has to include a bottom line number that will include, likely on a large infrastructure job, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of contingency line items for these kinds of issues. And then, so you have a schedule that is, um, that is based on 
a design that is not yet um, known, not yet uh, fully developed, and you have a, a contract, a fixed price, that includes a lot of contingencies, and you have a commitment that's required at this early phase. And so the design-build contractors who are doing this are used to having doing this, and sometimes it comes out well, and sometimes there are issues. There are issues because, um, for one thing, when they're bidding the job, they can feel the incentive to underestimate the amount of the contingencies that goes into their bottom line number. Um, they know that that bottom line number is their bid. And if they can shave some, some from that bottom line number, well, that's going to make them look more competitive. And that is something that is difficult. And then at, you know, as the project develops, the, the, the issues that arise as the design proceeds, there could be scope creep. There could be design issues in the initial design. Um, there can be ambiguities in what the RFP said about the project. Let me take a moment to, to look at that. When the public entity puts out the RFP, they try to be as specific as possible, but nothing is perfect. And one of the things that is not done in this kind of project, that is almost always done in every other kind of project, is in pre-construction, the owner will hire someone, usually a CM, to do three things. You know, um, constructability review, looking for those kinds of design issues that can happen. Value engineering, looking for ways in which to take certain scopes and deliver them for a lower cost. That's a huge thing. It goes on you know, from the time the architect or engineer has the job onward. But also something called cost reduction. And that's, that's important here because, oh, I can't believe that that, whole, that went so quickly. So here you can see on my second slide, talking about the same things. In the second bullet, um, using cost reduction is something that in a non-design build project is frequently you know, an important tool to say, can we really afford you know, all of these scopes? What is the most important thing? What are our priorities that we have to have? There are critical items that we have to have. There are things that are important and there's everything else. But in this kind of a situation, they're delivering the projects without it and without being able to avail themselves of cost reduction. So I'm gonna go directly, and I've only got less than five minutes, what does progressive design build do? First of all, it's a two-phase process. The design builder is engaged not with the um, surety of being able to get the project in the end. They're paid a fee for, first, for both phases in which they're gonna collaborate with the owner and their consultants to develop the design to like 90 or 100% of design docs which is gonna reduce those contingencies tremendously, especially the design contingencies. The cost and schedule were not established at the time of the selection. Usually within six to nine months, they then are in a position where they have a design that's developed enough and which the owner has participated in saying, what are the priorities? What kind of cost reduction can we do on the things that are not important? And let's be clear about exactly what you want so that you get to the point where the owner is gonna be happy with the scope that's being delivered. 
And they then present what's called a commercial proposal. That proposal is for a not-to-exceed contract, not a lump sum contract. The um, contingencies have been substantially reduced. So there's a lot more surety about certainty about what the prices are good, what the price should be, how the project should come out. Um, there's a lot less uh, stress on the schedule. It's not a, no longer a fast track schedule. And then if the owner is happy with what has been delivered, they will accept that contract. The fee that the that the design uh, that the design build entity is paid is not directly connected to the price. Of the, to deliver the project. It is something that was negotiated before. But this puts the, um, if the owner decides that they're not happy, they, they then, they've paid for that design. They can go ahead and try and deliver it a different way with a different, um, with a different team. I will say that that probably happens infrequently, but I, I, I honestly don't have experience with that. But this is a radical transformation because it takes it takes the amount of risk and the amount of contingencies and the stress of the fast track scheduling and the fixed costs off the table and transforms it into something that is, it's not CM at risk, okay, but it is a not to exceed contract. It is based on a fully developed de design. And it is based, most importantly, on the assistance and the you know, this is not IPD, but the owner is involved in helping to further define the programming. What's important? What are we going to, you know, when we look at, at, the, at, our, at our budget and we have to make choices, what are the choices that we're going to make? Rather than saying, well, it was in the contract in the beginning, you have to deliver all of these scopes and for the fixed price that is agreed. So did I miss one? Nope, that's pretty much it. And I think, although I kind of shorted, I think I'm done. I appreciate your time. I hope you found it interesting. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the ERMI podcast, recorded at the ERMI Construction Risk Conference in November of 2021. If you missed the conference because it was sold out, it's not too late to get access to the nine on-demand sessions recorded at the conference. To sign up, just visit ermi.com, select conferences, and then go to Construction Risk Conference. Thanks for listening.